Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Better Yet Start Talking, and I'm your host, Kenny J. And today I have a great guest who came in today. Finally, I haven't seen this person in a couple of years. Um, he is a real estate agent, and he basically is selling homes throughout the coast of the beach areas from Santa Monica, Venice, Playa Vista, and Marina del Rey. Everybody, here's Justin. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Kenny? How's it going? Thanks for having me, man. Of course. How's it going? Going great. Thank you. Of course. Nice day outside. Yes. The applause. This is the first Love time it. using the applause. Yeah, of course. <laughs> How you been? I've been really good. Thank you. How have you been? I've been great. Um, I'm currently at Cal State Long Beach getting my master's, and I'm just living life basically to the fullest. Awesome. So what's up with you? It's been Same. years. Yeah, it's been a while, man. It's good to yeah. see you finally. Uh, it, things have been great, man. You know, a lot of lots changed since we last saw each other, since we last spoke. Um, but I'm still in the real estate field, still busy as ever, and you know, yeah, trying to kill good. it. That's good. That's good to hear. So let's yeah. do some icebreaker questions. Uh, what's your favorite color? Favorite color would have to be like forest green for why, sure. Why forest green? I don't know. I I love trees and I love nature. Um, so I think that's one of the main reasons I love uh, I love the forest. So really, forest green is, yeah, that's my favorite. That's cool. That's good mm -hmm. to know. That's good to know. Um, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie has to be, it's a classic. It's called Man in the Iron Mask. And it's uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. I haven't seen it. Uh, you should see it. It's, like, it's, it's back in the day, but it's a really, really amazing movie. Back in the day in the 90s? Um, I think it's like late 90s, early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. For sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. So I brought you on basically because you have experience in working in real estate. This is something that you're currently doing and you have a passion for. I remember working at my previous job where we introduced each other and you were new to the real estate game and how you transitioned from Texas, right? You moved from Texas to right. Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. um, how's that been? It's been great. You know, I love it. Um, I like to go back to Texas every once in a while just to decompress and get out of the city. But um, I love it. Love it here where I live. The weather's amazing. And uh, it's great, man. You know? What made you move from Texas to L.A.? Um, I was actually, my girlfriend moved over here a long time ago to become an actress. And okay. I had never been over here before. Well, I think I had visited with her and her family. Um, but I basically came to be with her and, and then I stayed stayed yeah. and now in the real estate game yeah. so you did go to school you got a psychology degree well not technically technically I, uh, okay i went to a community college over there i actually had went back to kind of finish i have i have a bunch of credits that probably i could you know if i took a couple more classes i probably could get an associate's degree okay cool, um, cool but i just didn't put all my credits together and i switched majors so i needed a few more to get a psychology Okay. It's a psychology degree, but I ended up moving back over here and getting into real estate. So I just never, never went back. Never went back. Do you yeah. plan on going back? I would love to eventually, you know, um, I think school is so important and you learn so much and it's a really huge accomplishment having any sort of degree. So I've always highly respected people that, that have been able to do that. So, um, I think eventually if I, if some free time opens up or, um, something like that, I would eventually love to go back actually. Okay, cool. Do you yeah. still want to do it towards like psychology or get into a different? I would probably get into a field. different field. I'm not sure what I do right now, um, but I I would like to go just to to learn and to uh, you know just grow. Yeah, just to grow exactly. For sure, for sure, for sure. So moving from Texas to LA, like what made what was the decision on like I want to do real estate? 
So I didn't really know that about the real estate field. I had no idea what it even was. And um, when I got back to Texas, I needed a job. And I was looking on Craigslist, I was looking all over the place, and I finally found an office administrator position in a real estate office. For sure. And that was what introduced me to real estate. And it was actually a really great opportunity because I was um, the office I started in um, was with a really big high producing agent there that did a lot of luxury homes. So I was able to see firsthand, um, you know, what it was like in the luxury field. And I got to see all these beautiful houses and meet all these great people. So that was one thing that kind of sparked my interest. Um, and I know I wouldn't be able to do it in Texas because there's just not as nice properties. And I started off in Toluca Lake. So there was a lot of lakefront homes, nice. really, really, really nice houses. So that was what attracted me to it. I love being inside those, getting to see the views, how people are living. Um, and that was kind of what, what stuck to me the most. Where is Toluca Lake? Orange County, right? It's No, it's in the valley. Oh, it's, it's in the valley. It's, yeah, it's close to like Sherman Oaks, Studio City area. It's like right by Studio City. Okay, I'm thinking of something I was saying. Yeah, so it's random. a big time celebrity, um, celebrity community. Like, lots of celebrities live in that live nice. in the neighborhood. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah, it was cool. cool. So I met a few celebrities too, which was cool. Coming that's from cool. Texas, you know, seeing people that you watched on TV and all that growing up was really, really cool. So, as a real estate agent, what is your main responsibilities? <laughs> Prospecting all day, every day, um, meeting new people and finding potential clients. A lot of people uh, have a misconception about real estate and what it is, what it entails. The number one thing you have to be doing every single day is what's called prospecting. And that's reaching out to new people to try and get clients, basically. Get people that are looking to buy or sell or lease even. Uh, okay. But that's, as a real estate agent, your main thing needs to be prospecting. What channels do you use to prospect? So cold calling, I cold call a lot of people. Um, there's different avenues you can take as far as, you know, you can door knock, you can call people, you can go to events, you can do sort of different marketing avenues such as postcards, letters, things like that. Um, my main thing is cold calling. And I, I figured out that the more that I call the neighborhood that I've kind of been used to that i know the most right i get more traction so if i call out in temecula or whatever they're gonna say you know who are you have never heard your name before right um what have you sold here basically so um one important thing about real estate is finding a neighborhood that you are successful in and kind of honing down on that particular area and and getting your name out there what kind of problems do you run into as a real estate agent oh there's tons um Lots. The main problem basically is when you're already in a deal and you go to inspect the house, no house is perfect, especially here. A lot of older houses and there's always problems with houses. There's always either mold problems or termite or something's wrong with the AC or, you know, something is, is wrong. So that's kind of the main problem in real estate is being able to navigate through those issues and coming to... Um, you know, coming to an agreement between the buyer and seller on what they're going to do and what the buyer is willing to take. So that's that's the main problem. And so, actually, I would say the main problem is getting clients. Okay, um, yeah. Aside from actually being in the deal, the main, the hardest thing to do is to get clients. It's the hardest thing to do. Why would you consider it being the hardest thing to do? 
Because um, you're, you know, especially here in Los Angeles, you're working in a city where lots of people have tons of experience and their name is already out there and they know a lot of people. I didn't grow up here, I didn't go to school here, so I have no, I have no, I had no friends that were buying and selling. Um, a lot of people that grew up here went to high school with people, so they have friends that have families that have aunts and uncles and right. grandparents and, you know, you, you get to meet people like that and I really didn't have that chance you know i kind of started fresh right so that's why it's so hard to gain new clientele is you have to really get on the phone with people and explain how you would be the best option for them and they've never met you before true true very true so you coming from texas to la like obviously you were starting fresh so you were saying that the networking events you would go to are like marketing word of mouth of like trying to get your name out there like how was that process like were you getting a lot of people hanging up on you or a lot of people not being interested or interested in you? I still get that. I still get tons of people hanging up on me every day. Um, it's sort of like a numbers game also. Um, there's, it's funny because commercial and residential are, are two completely different things. So commercial, you're dealing with businesses and office buildings and stuff like that. Whereas residential, you're dealing with people's homes. Right. So it's more emotional. So, for instance, I have commercial agents that will go into the office and they're just there all day calling people. And what they talk about is numbers. They talk about, oh, this is, you know, the cap rate. This is the income. This is what the numbers are going to be. And then it's usually an investor or somebody that's looking to purchase like, oh, it's not for me or, oh, it is for me. And they, and they hang up, right? right? As we're with residential in my field, you're dealing with people's emotions. You, people are selling because their kids moved off or they, um, they had a death in the family or they're divorcing you know, so residential is a very, very emotional sort of field to be in. And um, and that and that's kind of why they really only use people that they trust. Right. OK, well, yeah, I'm just saying that that's kind of the uh, the hard part about residential is, is tapping into people's emotions and getting that sort of rapport built with people. OK, cool, cool. Yeah. So I want to talk about like your first experience on selling a home. How was that for you? Um, it was cool. So for me, I started off, um, when I first started, I started as an office administrator. Okay. So that was really, really, um, good experience to kind of just know the field, know what was going on. Um, I got on the systems. I looked at the listings. Um, I was able to even sit open houses for some really, really big listings. Um, and that kind of gave me the most experience. Um, and then I got my license and moved on to a team. Okay. So that's that's probably the main advice I can give someone looking to get into the field at the beginning. If you get your license, join a team because you're not going to know anything. And the team is really going to help you learn kind of the way things work. Okay. So the first time I sold a condo on my own, I was with my team and I had been with I had been a real estate assistant for probably about a year. And um, and they gave me the opportunity to go and get deals on my own. Nice. Try and represent people. So. My first deal is actually a condo in Santa Monica. I think it was a million one fifty, and I sat an open house on Sunday, and we were representing my team, and I were representing the sellers, and I I sat the open house in the hopes of procuring a buyer to buy the condo, which I did. Um, some people came into the condo, they liked me, and they you know they they thought they could trust me to to get their you know to get them the deal. So right. um, those are the first people that I actually represented. And that was probably eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. Um, that was my first condo sale. And it was great. I mean, everything went really well. 
and it was it was amazing. I didn't make that much money because I had to give the whole thing to my team. Right. But uh, the experience was really great. That's good. That's good yeah. to hear. So within the team, I'm assuming that you had a mentor basically or just your team itself was just helping you navigate how to do things as a real estate agent yeah they're they're my mentors and my bosses okay um i started off with it was a group of ladies it was three ladies at the time and um the two two of the ladies were older they're older ladies that have been in the business for 40 years so the experience i gained from them was just outstanding i couldn't have asked for for better mentors and I was their real estate assistant, and um, that entailed coming into the office, you know, eight to five every day, and just working on, on building their brand and building their, you know, their, their business. So that was um, that was key, is being on that team and learning. And yeah, they were my mentors, so they helped me learn a lot about about how to do things. That's good to hear. Yeah. So being in a team, what were the top three skills that you learned from being in a team setting? Top three skills, I would say, um, I, I think no, negotiation has to be like probably the third. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the first and second, but negotiation was a skill that I didn't really learn from my mentors, but I had to kind of learn on my own right? Um, through like reading books and just, you know, things like that. Um, the first skill I say would, would be how to navigate transactions and how to deal with people because um, they taught me that people that are buying and selling really want to hear from you a lot. Um, and that was one thing I didn't really know is that, you know, if you're representing someone, they constantly want to be reached out to and even overly reached out to. Right. So even if you think, Oh, I haven't reached out all day, I'll just reach out tomorrow. It's like, no, people want to hear from you all the time. Like you have to constantly be in contact with them, letting them know what's going on. Hey, even if there's nothing happened, Hey, we didn't get any showings on your house today or Hey, nothing popped up on the market. It's um, it's just always good to overly communicate with your clients. And that was one huge thing I learned from my team. I would say like the overall skill for a real estate agent is more so communicating. Obviously, right. like staying in touch with not only the buyers, sellers, even your bosses. It's just more so like if you're able, if you're capable of communicating these things and being like interpersonal with these people and knowing that like, hey, this is going on. Things will move slow, like smoothly, basically yeah. for you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was that was uh, that was it. This communication was huge. That was that was, and every real estate agent, if you're getting into it, you need to you need to have good communication skills for sure. Speaking of communication skills, how did you learn that skill, or how did you master that skill, or if you're still mastering that skill? I'm still I'm still working on it. I've um, I've always been really good with people. I love people, and I love talking to people. So that was one thing for me that kind of made it easier. Is uh, is you know, talking to people. So I, I never was afraid to get on the phone with somebody and communicate and stuff like that. So um, it, it was it was easier for me. If you're an introvert, it's going to be really difficult. Yeah, I for myself, I'm like 50 50. I could be an extrovert or an introvert. I like to be by myself, but I still like to talk and mm -hmm. be in people's not business, but just more so like have a conversation with them and just, you know, get to know them basically. Yeah. So yeah, I'm 50 50 with it, but I do get it. Yeah. I could see that not working for a lot of introverts if they yeah, don't like communicating. Yeah, it's, it's, well, even for me as an extrovert, it's yeah. hard because, you know, and you have to communicate so often too. Right. Especially if you're prospecting your client, people, people don't realize what a toll it takes on your mind. And right. I, and I, I feed off people's energy and I love talking to people, but after like the 20th conversation, you really get drained and exhausted, especially if you're 
calling people that aren't really, you know, there's, you can call, I'll sit in the office all day for eight hours and I won't get one thing. I won't get one lead or one prospect. I'll just have people tell me not selling, no thank you. Um, you know, and it's, it's really draining sometimes. So if you're not getting any leads, how do you like for that day? Like how, how does it take a toll on you as in like you take it personal or no, I, I never, I never, never, never take things personally. You really can't, you really can't. Cause you'll, you'll end up, I mean, even sometimes the first or second call I make is like, fuck you. Don't call me again. You know? So, um, so that's kind of, that's that, that can take a big, big toll on you. Yeah. But if you let it get to you, then you're just going to have a hard time calling the next person. Right. You know? So I just, I, I brush it off my shoulder and I, I just keep calling, you know, you keep calling. Yeah. How many calls do you make a day? on a good day i'll make upwards of four or five hundred calls i have a system too i have okay. a system that's kind of like a three-line dialer okay so i can call three people at once and whoever picks up it'll put me it'll patch me right in with them oh for sure if two people pick up at once it'll tell the other person hey we had to take another call we'll call you right back basically oh for sure um, for sure but when i'm on that system it'll be at least four or five hundred numbers um if i'm just dialing myself it's probably at least like 50 to 100 calls Wow. Yeah. And I'm just, if I'm just like single dialing and I'll usually single dial when I'm calling a certain neighborhood. Right. Like, uh, the silver strand is in, is a neighborhood in Marina del Rey that I've, I've been trying to hone in on and I have a listing there and I've sold a, I just sold a house there. So I've been really focusing on the area. So when I call those people, for instance, I don't use the three line dialer because a lot of them will pick up and they don't want to hear your, your recording. You know, they want to hear a right. person. So I'll dial them individually and I'll try and get on the phone with them and talk about the market and this what's going on. Do you know anybody looking to buy or sell? Okay. Um, and that's when I do it like that, I'll usually call like at least 50 people. Okay. Probably. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Just a random question. Where is the Silver Strand in Marina Del Rey? That's um, right. It's right by my office right there on Washington. Okay. And Via Marina sort of area. Oh, like. The Boa, like, I don't know. I think there's a street called Boa. Like uh, Bora Bora, Bora. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Bora Bora, Over there. Via Dulce, those areas. Yeah, right oh, by the sure. marina. The Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, there, yeah it's, right, it's exactly. right, right behind the neighborhood. It's okay. cool. A lot of uh, Ice Cube actually lives there, too. Really? That's Yeah, funny. he bought a house there, I think, like, in 2015, 2016, for, like, $7.5 million. Oh, wow. Uh, big house right on the canal. So um, that's pretty cool. A few that other celebrities cool. live there, too. So it's, it's a nice yeah. area. It's so random. When I was working at Starbucks, I would see random celebrities go about their day by the beach yeah it's just like i just saw uh, harvey kettle do you know who that is i don't he's have you seen reservoir dogs i haven't you need to see reservoir dogs that's like oh, hulu right huh hulu i don't know if it's on hulu but that movie is it's old oh it's a it's, movie yeah, it's, okay i'm thinking yeah. of a show no okay. no, no it's a movie it's a quentin it's reservation quentin tarantino dogs. movie okay cool and uh harvey kettle is like the main actor there and i saw him the other day um at starbucks actually and i was like i was like in shock because i've never seen you know, he's such a huge actor to me in that movie, and my dad loves that movie, so it was really cool seeing him. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to definitely, definitely yeah, check out the recommendations you, you gave me to Man watch. You got to see Man Mask, and you have to see Reservoir Dogs. For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so you left your previous brokerage, right? And you're at a new brokerage. Yeah. So how's that going? How was that? Why, what made you make that decision? So, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, not at all. So I was with Remax since I got my license and since I started with the ladies. I was with them for eight years. Yes. And um, it's a really great brand. I love I love Remax, but um, actually the main reason that I wanted to change to Compass is because I have a couple of buddies my age that have been with them for a while and they do just 
an extraordinary amount, extraordinary amount of business um, for their age. They're absolutely killing it, like in the Palisades, Palisades area. Yeah. Um, and I went to meet with them one time, and they were like, "Hey, like if you come over here to this area and you try and get a listing, like we're gonna blow you out the water." It's like Compass is just known for like luxury. Right. The thing about Remax is it handles more like South Bay. Okay, it's yeah. really prevalent like in the South Bay area, maybe even still a little bit in the Marina area, but it's an older brand. It's been around for, for years and years and years and right. years. And I don't feel like they really changed with the times. It's still kind of older, like the brand, the look, you know. Okay, so have, it hasn't like upgraded. It hasn't it's, evolved. Yeah, it's that's still the right like word. red and blue. They have you know, the old hot air balloon as their logo. Yeah. It just, it just looks old school, man. And then Compass came in and it's a newer brokerage. Um, and it just looks sleek. It looks modern. If you go to their Instagram page, it just looks like a really modern brand. Right. Um, so that's what attracted me to it originally. Um, and I also want to tap in more to the luxury areas. Right. And Remax does do luxury, but Compass is kind of taken over as the luxury brokerage. And, okay. Um, and that's one of the reasons. And their marketing is a lot better. Their their look is a lot better. And people are people that hear that name um, are more likely to. They're more, to work with them. more in tune as to what is currently going on in the real estate, yeah, right? Yeah, and also Compass is, you have to be experienced to work at Compass. So right. you need probably like $5 million a year in production in order to join them. Wow. Um, so it's, it's only experienced agents. There's no new agents. Right. And every time I would talk with a Compass agent, they would talk about how they love it because, you know, all their colleagues are experienced and they're doing well. Right. And, uh, and how everybody's just really professional and polite and all that. So... I would hear a lot of nice things about it. So I, I, I was thinking of jumping for like the last year or two, um, but I had to get over that $5 million mark to finally. Oh, so that, that was the, the top goal for yourself to that transition into Compass, right? Yeah, I, I've, I'd been wanting to, tran to transfer to Compass for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, but I didn't want to join a team because I was already on a team. Right. And when you're on a team, you have to push the team. You have to push their business. And it's usually like an individual or two. Right. So you're working to get them more business and their name out there. And you're not really, you know, branding yourself in your name. So now you're at Compass. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you're branding yourself because I've seen that you have a team now, your own team, the Dutch Over team, right? right. And then go a little more into the Dutch Over team. Why that name? So I, um, I wanted my last name to, you know, to, to make its mark, basically, on the community, on the neighborhood. I wanted people to recognize my name. Right. So that's why I chose the Dutch Over team. Um, I just wanted people to, to recognize my name. And, and I was going to, you know, I plan on doing this for a lot of years. So right. I just want people to get used to my name. You and that was why name. I chose the name to, to do oh, that. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So how's it been since, you know, that transition? Now you're at Compass. Like, what's going on? Like, are you, do you have new goals for yourself? Do you, how many calls are you making now? Are you still making 400 to 500 calls a day? That I try. I, I really try. It's, um, it's tough because when you're in business for yourself, you really have to be disciplined. And I am a disciplined person, but there's just those days where I can't. You know, I either have meetings or, um, or things like that, and I just, I just can't get those done. I, ideally, I'd love to get four or 500 calls each day. I'd probably do a lot more business than I do now, but um, it's just hard to keep that momentum going every single day to call that many people. Right. Um, so I, I do try, but it's just tough to keep those those numbers up. How do you go about keeping that momentum going, though? Um, I would say just going into the office, going in the office, because I when I try and work from home, I get distracted a lot and it's not as uh, productive. 
So I would say just going, trying to get in the office as early as possible and sitting there and just being in it. And then also when I'm sitting there, you know, if I have someone call me, I'm available to look on the computer for what they're looking for. Right. And I'm also able to start making calls. So that was, that's how to keep the momentum going. Just go in and focus and, and try and get as much done as possible. That's cool. That's good to know. Um, how many people are in your team? Um, I currently have a transaction coordinator and um, I'm bringing on a buyer's agent. Okay. So it's a small team right now. I'm probably looking to grow in the next few years and a couple more people I've put. Probably about four or five interns through my internship program. Good. Which is really great. But it's it's hard, you know, dealing with interns because you have to teach them everything. And then they just leave, you know. So it's... <laughs> By them leaving is because the internship is over or are they just... The internship ends. The ends. Yeah, it ends. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't really at the, I don't really have a, a salaried position for them, you know. Right. So they learn tons. I teach them tons, which is the, the giveaway. You know, you come and right. do a lot of work for me and you learn the business. Um, but at the end of the internship, it's usually like they, you know, they have school or they're looking for a paid job, which I don't have for them. Right. So that's, that's sort of the thing. So I kind of stopped doing the internship for, for a little bit just cause it takes so much of your time and energy. Right. Um, but it's actually, it was, it was really good having them cause they did, they did a lot for me and I, it opened up more time for me to make calls instead of having to do like office admin work. Okay, cool. What made you decide to do an internship or an apprenticeship? basically um the the people that i talked to my friends ryan and trevor um over at compass i was telling you about earlier they they got me thinking about it they had a bunch of it they i think they did like 18 interns through their internship program so um i kind of learned from them like it was good to like bring people on and help with like your day-to-day tasks um so i tried that out and it does it does help but like i said it just takes a lot of time and focus and attention and it's probably better if you're gonna have interns to to uh Make sure you have something at the end for them if they want to. I agree about like having something at the end or something because, you know, after a lot of internships, it's just a pause because a lot of people are expecting to get a job. And, you know, a lot of people aren't getting jobs. So, yeah, it could could be a sad moment or just like a devastating moment, basically. Yeah, but it's good on your resume. Very true. Uh, That's always a plus. If you are going to look for like a real estate assistant position, say, hey, I did an internship for six months and I learned tons um, and it'll look better for when you're trying to get a job in the real estate field. All right, for sure. So how many homes on average do you sell each year? I would say four to five probably at this at this point. Okay. And my average price range is probably a million and a half. Um, I, sold a, um, I sold a four and a half million dollar house in December. How was that? Um, it was amazing, man. It's, it's, it was a lot of hard work, though. It was a lot of hard work. Um, I ended up calling and I, the house, the listing I have now is actually those people that bought that house. Oh wow! And okay. I had called them years ago about seeing if they wanted to sell. And they were like, yeah, I want to sell. I want to sell, but just off market. And a lot of people tell me that, that they'll sell, but they don't want to go on the market. Okay. So what I did was I just kept following up with them. Like, Hey, you know, I would call them a couple months later and say, Hey, I've been reaching out to people about your house. Can't find money. Let's make a move. And eventually I found out what they, the reason that he didn't want to go in the market and sell is because they hadn't found, they hadn't found something, you know? Right. So I ended up showing him a few off markets in the area because um, of other people that had told me the same thing. I'll sell off market. And I showed them a few houses and I eventually got them to buy this. It was listed for 5 million and I got, I got it to him for four and a half. So I got him half a million dollars off the house, which is an amazing deal. 
Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was, to, it was a good sale. Okay. I have two questions about purchasing a house. So, as a real estate agent, how do you negotiate how much percentage you are getting from that sale? And how do you um, go about negotiating from a $5 million house to a $4.5 million house? Yeah, it's a good question. So, as far as commission, for to answer the first part of your question, um, standard commission in our area is usually 5 6%. Um, and, uh, it just depends on how good you are and how good a negotiation expert you are. So, um, it's usually like 5% is what the, what the pe people charge. Um, and the seller is the one that pays the commission. So if you okay. go in to try and get a, you know, a sale uh, where you're going to have the listing, you know, you usually tell the sellers, look, I'll do the job and I'll do it for the 5%, which is a standard commission. Um, other people may do less. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, it's, it's. You know, it's it's it, if you if you take less, you're kind of branding yourself as a discount broker, and I never wanted to be seen like that. So I would rather lose the deal than to shave off commission, basically. So, or I'll give them a deal. I'll tell them I'll do it for five percent for you, but uh, if I represent the um, both the buyer and seller, then I'll give you another. I'll give you four percent, for instance, if I represent both parties. Okay. Okay. Um, or I'll go in. I'll tell them six. Per, you know, I'll tell them I'll, I'll charge them six percent. And if they want a deal, then I'll, I'll go down to five, for instance. Okay. Um, but it's usually standard is 5% because you're having to give 2.5% to the buyer's agent. Okay. And as a buyer's agent, your your percentage is basically already there. It's like um, whatever the seller's paying, if they're paying 5%, you get 25 Sometimes you'll, it'll be 2%, um, which is kind of, it sucks, you know, as a buyer's agent to get a 2% commission. But you have to do what's best for your clients. So if you have to take that... That loss base. That now, lot. I'm going to consider it a loss, but. Yeah, if you have to take that, then then you have to do it. But yeah. standard is usually like 2.5% for each, the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. If okay. you represent both parties, you can you can stand to get double um, or you can do 4%. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and your next question was, how did you get the 500 grand off the $5 million house, basically? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, that took a lot of negotiation skill on my part. What I did was I, I they couldn't afford five million, so they couldn't have bought the house if it wasn't for me. Right. So I had to figure out a way to get them in the house without having to pay the full price. So what I did was I figured out things that would um, kind of make the house, you know, not look as attractive. Basically, right. If you want to say that, I would. I told the you know when I made the offer, I put down a list of reasons why this is why we're offering this. For instance, number one was the house is outdated. I said, you guys are asking $5 million for this house. It needs tons of work. Right. You know, it needs new flooring. It needs a bunch of stuff. So this is why we're offering this. I also actually figured out that they're going to be doing, they're going to do construction. There's a lot right next door. And I figured out that they're going to be doing construction on that lot. They're going to build a big house, 5,000 square foot house right next door. So there's going to be noise. There's going to be construction debris. It's going to be hell. Right. So I told the, you know, the seller's, seller's agent i was like look they're gonna buy this you know we're offering this because they're gonna have to go through that construction period right and it's funny because this the agent that was representing this representing the sellers actually told me oh it'll only be a year it'll only be construction for a year but i did my due diligence and right. i found the developer and i called the developer and i told him what are you planning on doing with this lot how long is it going to take you and he told me it's going to take me three years it's like i already took the i already have all the plans i have the 
everything ready to go. We're going to break ground soon. It's going to be a three-year project. Wow. So I was like, wow, well, they're going to have to deal with this for three years. I was like, we need to get a deal here. Right. So that was that was how I got them the deal was I, I just made a case for them. Hey, the house is outdated. They're going to be doing construction next door. Right. Um, I also used Ice Cube's purchase as a comp. I was like, they would be paying the most per square foot since Ice Cube bought his. I think Ice Cube... Bought like for like eight over eight hundred a square foot, over eight fifty a square foot, which is kind of unprecedented. And not a lot of people are buying that large of a house right. for that much per square foot. So that was another thing I told them was, hey, we're actually paying a lot per square foot. We're paying more than Ice Cube paid for his. So, um, so this is a great deal essentially, and they accepted it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. It's a lot of negotiating you have to do, and really, yeah. you really have to like be very detailed on like what is actually going on in the house within the neighborhood basically to negotiate that price yeah it's a lot yeah but it's a i mean it's an amazing house dude they have uh they have views of them they're looking right overlooking the marina where the boats are coming in and out oh nice they have ocean views they have a giant rooftop deck nice they're right on the canal canal views and they're across right across steps to the beach it's it's an amazing house so that's nice i'm really that's excited nice. it's crazy yeah. It's a nice view. I'm yeah. just already picturing it in my head. Yeah, so nice. let's move on to like first time buyers. Mm -hmm. So obviously I don't have experience or knowledge about the real estate agency, like the rate real estate in general, basically the terminology, all this and everything. So as a first time buyer, what would you suggest or recommend to me? What should I do to begin my process or my research? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I say number one, get yourself an experienced agent because they're gonna be able to walk you through the entire process from step one to the end. So um, I would say the number one thing is once you get your agent, and a lot of people think that they don't need an agent or they don't, you know, they, oh, they're gonna save on commission or whatever, but as a buyer, you're not, you know, you're, you're not paying anything. You're, you're the seller is paying your agent. So you essentially have an agent for free, so why not? You right. know what I mean? So why not hire an agent? You're not paying them it's for free. Right. So get an experienced agent and they'll kind of walk you through the process. The, the first step is going to be to get a pre-approval for a loan. Right. Um, and that is all done through a lending, you know, a lending company. So like banks. Yeah. Banks, yeah. Lend, you know, independent lenders, whatever you need to talk with them. They'll be able to look at all your financials. Right. And then tell you this is what you can afford, basically. And this right. is what we're going to loan you. Right. And that's step one. Once you have a pre-approval letter and you have the down payment and the money and all that to close then you can start looking at houses basically okay and, uh, so definitely like go and obviously go to the banks and get my number to see what i could purchase right yeah you need to get a pre-approval yeah so obviously you're in the marina del rey area along the coast from palisades playa vista and santa monica um do you want to transition out from the beach areas and move on to different luxury areas at all like beverly hills i i would love to do beverly hills um it's a really really competitive market as you know there's a bunch of movie stars and reality stars that work that area yeah so it's tough but i eventually yeah i'd love to do those houses but a lot of people don't realize that those houses the more expensive ones they take a lot longer to sell why is that and uh it's just there's not a lot of people that can spend that much money very true <laughs> you know very they only true. beyonce and jay-z only come come along wanting to buy a house every few years you know so right um it's just they're still in palisades um, i believe right i think they 
bought a house in Bel Air or Brentwood or something. Um, yeah. I don't remember where they went, but that's the thing is like if it's a fifty million dollar house, you need to have a couple million dollars to put down. For sure. And then your mortgage is going to be a hundred thousand a month, you know. So. For sure. So not a lot of people have that wherewithal, and that's why they take longer to sell. For um, sure. And it's also a lot. It's it's a lot more hassle to show them and stuff. You know, if you're showing a. 2,000 square foot house, you're in and out in 15, 20 minutes. If you're showing a, you know, 25,000 square foot house, it's going to take an hours maybe, you know, shutting off all the lights, presenting it, walking around the whole estate. It could take all day. So it's, it's, it's a different market. But to answer your question, I love the beach areas and I love oceanfront property. Okay. I think if I was to transition, it would be more so down the co up the coast of Malibu probably. Okay. Um, and start focusing on those bigger Malibu listings. What about the OC? OC, I haven't had. I don't. I'm not really interested in. Okay. Not really interested. In. It's far. I know they have really nice houses out there. Yeah, I just. I th yeah. I think if I got a listing out there, if I have an opportunity, I'll definitely drive out there and take it. I actually just sold a condo last year in Laguna Woods. And That's far. I, I, yeah, it's far. I love that area though. It's, it's so nice. nice. Along it's the beautiful. beach coast is always nice. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's like yeah. forest, trees. Not like it's not like crazy city life like LA. Wow. There's trails. There's parks. I loved going down there. So if I get an opportunity over there, I'll definitely take it. But I'm not focusing. Right. That's not that, that's on not on your area. mindset. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. That's very cool to know. Yeah. Um, I meant to ask this. When you are selling a home, do you usually stage the house? Yes. Yeah, so staging is huge. And especially nowadays. And it, it didn't use it's gotten bigger and bigger because agents realize that it really makes a huge difference. Right. If you're bringing your buyer into an empty house, they're not going to see the same as when you bring them into a fully staged like home, you know, a place that right. feels like home. You know, there's flowers on the table, there's couches, it just feels more homey than without staging. So staging is, is huge nowadays. And I, I, I advise all my sellers to, to stage the property if they're going to market it. So I, I learned that term staging from watching Selling Sunset. <laughs> and obviously I wanted to know about the real estate, but by watching it, obviously it's a reality show. So drama happens. Yeah. Bullshit, basically. Um, they're very competitive with one another on how many homes they sell or how much money they get. And does that really happen in real life? It it does. It's uh, But it's like friendly competition. So okay. when I'm when I'm in the office with all my colleagues... We're, t we're trying to go after the same neighborhood, the same people, right. but we understand it's like people are going to choose what they want. Right. So it's not really, you know, there's no sense in us fighting over it. Right. I can see how there'd be more drama between those chicks, you know, and, and they also have to cut, you know, cut their, the twins in and, and all that and the broker. So right. it's a lot more than people see on TV, like behind closed doors. And I'm sure them specifically and in the markets they cover they i'm sure they they have to compete a lot more for like the ultra wealthy people you know and there's only a very few of them Selected so group, yeah. if they both if they both meet somebody that's looking to buy you know unless they work together on it which is possible then yeah they're gonna maybe be at each other's throats to uh to secure that person for sure so my question is if you don't make your quota i guess for the week or for the month what does compass like, what do they tell you or how do you like, what are you supposed to do now? Nothing. So Compass, your brokerage is 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 not really I mean, they're focused on your business. and They want to help you grow, but they're not really involved in it. Right. It's, it's all you. Okay. So um, as a salesperson, once you get your license, you have to be under a brokerage unless right. you're on your own broker. 
So you need to be under a Remax, Compass, Keller Williams, one of those brokerages. And the main benefit of being with a brokerage is the resources they provide you, right. such as they give you marketing resources. You know, they have systems that you can use for, for postcards and for marketing. And they also give you a legal team. Oh, nice. So you have to pay insurance to them and they provide you with legal services in case anything ever goes wrong and somebody wants to sue you or something like that. So that's kind of the benefits of, of being with a brokerage, but your brokerages don't ever tell you how to handle your business. You haven't been sued, right? No, I've been threatened. <laughs> wow. I've been threatened a few times, but I've never been sued. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask what led to that? What led to you almost being sued? Can I ask that? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, it was, I mean, I dealt with a, with a really, really bad person. And that's one thing in this business you have to stay away from because we're in a sue happy city. People love to sue here. It's so LA for people you. People love yeah. to sue for everything. So I think the main way to avoid, you're never going to avoid it, but the main way to try and stay away from that is to not deal with people that you feel like are, are shady or that are going to, you know, try and do that to you. So I dealt with an attorney that was awful throughout the entire process and uh just just a not a not a good guy and i actually it was for a lease too so it wasn't a huge if it was a couple million dollar deal i'd be a lot more scared but it was for a lease and i actually broke the record for leases leasing his place i leased it for like 5200 a month which is wow for a two-bedroom it broke the record in marina del rey for that area nice um, for that area specifically I mean, there's oceanfront properties obviously at least for right. a lot more but for that complex in that specific area i broke a record and i represented him and the tenants and the tenants were such amazing people like they're they're still my friends to this day they're great people and the reason he was threatening me was and it was like a year after they had already left they had already moved out and he was saying that i didn't disclose to him that i was representing both parties and basically in a uh in a direct way and i had three pieces of proof that i did i even put i patched my attorney in uh, our company's attorney and I was like look I told this guy this three times there's the signed agree there's the rental agreement that states it I told him in an email he asked me in an email hey are you representing and I said yes and then there's I had three pieces of evidence showing that I disclosed it and he's a lawyer so he can't go in and say oh, I never knew it's like right. dude I told you this right so that was why that was the reason he was saying that it was it was non-disclosure basically of the agency relationships and which was completely false and he said he was going to sue me for that and he tried saying that i cost him money basically by not disclosing that um so that he's tried saying and i was like i didn't cost you money i broke a record for the for the area so i did you a really great service wow so it was really disappointing to hear that he was taking that route um but that's sort of the things that people do that's the way they're trying they try and get at you he actually was trying to get me to give him give him the commission back and give him all this money and I told him, no, my attorney was even trying to advise me to, hey, just just give him the money and just get, you know, just get it over with, which a lot of real estate agents, they that's the way they handle. Problems. They handle they things. So they it. I do that now, like a lot. I do that a lot. Like if somebody's, oh, I'm not happy with this, Justin, I'll pay for it. You oh, know? that's nice. And of you. It, yeah. And it always it, it's it's just much easier. Um, because but, you, yeah. Yeah. Just to get it out. But in, with this guy, I'm, I wasn't going to give in. I was like, I did an excellent job for him. I right. worked my butt off. And I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give him my money. That's my hard-earned money. And uh, I'm not going to give it to this kind of guy because he's trying to, you know, strong Did he arm still me. try to pursue the suit, like suing you? Or so, how did it end? Um, I just never got anything. I never got uh, the, you know, I guess 
you never yeah, got I never that. got the paper. Never okay. nobody ever come and handed it to me. I, I expected him to. My attorney and I replied with, "Hey, he's not going to give you any of his commission. He's not. He's not backing down. So do what you got to do, basically." And he was like, "All right, you should be expecting a lawsuit in the next whatever, whatever." How long ago was this? I was probably about a year or so back. Is it too late for him to still try to pursue it? Um, I think so. I right. think so. But he he knows he has no grounds no no grounds to stand on. Was know? he older? Yeah, he was older. A little bit older. Probably. <laughs> Dementia yeah. probably started. Hopefully yeah. not. But <laughs> yeah. So he he. I think he was just trying to threaten me and try and get some money back from me. So, but I never, I never, yeah, I never got any paperwork. So I don't think he went through with it. Wow, and that's the only time you ever been like sued. Yeah, that's or, the only time or attempt been to get sued, yeah. basically. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever had to like sue somebody? No. Thank Does God. that happen in the real estate? Like as a real estate agent, do you have to sue? Like, um, you may, uh, you may, maybe it may have to sue another agent if he's like, uh, or a seller. If, if, uh, you know, for instance, when you sign a contract with a seller, you're telling them, give me six months to sell your house. And if I bring you anybody, then you owe me money. <laughs> and there's a clause in the contract that says, after 180 days after our or however many days you put standards like 180 and it says if you sell to anybody that i brought in after our agreement expires mm -hmm. so for instance they gave me six months to sell their house i brought in a few people uh, interested parties and then our agreement expires they didn't buy nobody bought the house or none of my people bought the house right i have no agreement with them to to you know to sell it or a commission agreement but that clause that says 180 days saying that after our agreement expires if you sell it to one of the buyers, prospective buyers I brought in, you still owe me money. So, wow. yeah. So if I bring someone in and I show him the house and he's really interested and then our agreement expires and that guy goes back to the seller and says, hey, I want to buy it. And the seller has another agent at the time. Mm -hmm. Then, um, and he sells it to that person that I procured during our contract, then they would, they would still owe me the money basically. Your full percentage or the, yeah, the, okay. the commission we agreed upon. So that, wow. that could be a reason to sue is if they, uh, you know, the sellers sell it to one of the buyers that you brought in after the agreement expired right. and, and all the commission went to the new agent. That could be the reason, but it's usually doesn't come to that because it's usually like you can go to the, you know, the real estate, the, you know, the department of real estate and all that and just say, Hey, like I'm entitled to this. Or if you even send it to the agent, and say, hey, look, you sold it to this guy, but you got all the commission, but this was my money. This That was my buyer, and we had an agreement. Usually the agent will be like, they'll fork over their, you know, what they made. <clears throat> so that could be a reason to sue is if the agent doesn't want to give you that commission that you're entitled to. Okay. If the seller doesn't want to give you that commission you're entitled to, that could be some some of the reasons. Well, I never knew. Yeah. I don't even know. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, that, <laughs> that's a lot. This is a lot. Real estate is just its own, like... Obviously, it's own course, but it's a lot of material that yeah. you really have to like consume and take in, especially if you want to pursue real estate. For sure, it's a lot. Knowing the contracts is a big thing. Um, you know, knowing the all the contracts that there is is, you know, that's why it's good to get on a team and start learning early, mm -hmm. so you know the contracts. Because that's one thing about being an experienced agent is you have to you have to know what the contracts are saying. Wow. So obviously, starting off as a real estate agent, um, how was it like? having all those contracts coming your way now like how were you able to like understand the terminology and basically learn all the material from these contracts like i don't even know my question but yeah no i, I think i know what you're getting at yeah. it's uh it was definitely i i had great experience with my with my uh former team because they would i was the assistant so i would basically handle all the transactional 
stuff. Mm-hmm. And that included looking at the contracts, sending them out to the buyers or sellers for signature. So you just get used to them too. You know, once you see them so many times, you start getting used to them. And it's actually not that difficult. It's not rocket science or anything. When you're reading through the contracts, it's all pretty cut and dry. Um, it's just a lot of information. So you read, you read through and you see what they're saying. You know, like, oh, this stipulation A, B, C, or whatever. It's not that hard to read. You know, if you're literate right. and, you're, and you're smart, you can, you can decipher what's, you know, what they're saying. So um, that's kind of how it goes is you just, you get to know them, you get to see the contracts over and over, and you kind of just get to know them and you understand what they're, what they're trying to say and all that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, back to um, home tours. Um, what are the hardest part of keeping your clients focused on home tours? So... Um, the hardest part, I would say, keeping them focused on home tours. So, hmm, let me think about that one. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's different because buyers, buyers are, are, are weird, man. If you're, and it's, I wouldn't say they're weird. It's just like, you're buying such a huge asset. It's probably the biggest purchase you're ever going to make in your life. So a lot of people are unsure or they're flaky or they're just, you know, they're not, you're not just, you know, really serious about, about getting it done. So, um, you know, you have to have a pre-approval to go touring houses, basically. If they don't have a, 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 if they don't, if they're not paying cash or they don't have a a letter from their lender saying that they can afford a certain price that, um, that can be an issue. Okay. So I would, the touring is the easy part and getting set up, you know, getting people set up to see different houses. That's the easy part. But, um, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's actually getting the, the buyers pre-qualified and pre-approved. And, uh, and then you can, you know, you show them houses. And it's funny because some buyers will look at 50 houses. Some will look at two or three and make a purchase. Wow. So it, it all varies. Wow. Yeah. 50 houses. People are really, I mean, People I understand look looking because, you know, it has to be the right neighborhood, the right school. If they have kids, just the right area, yeah. just close to work or whatever. Wow. Has there ever been a time where... You were about to close and the transaction just stopped. Yeah, that happens all the time. It happens the all the time. Um, not really about to close because there's a certain period where you'll know for sure. So there's contingencies mm-hmm. in the contract. Um, for instance, if I'm buying a house from you, I'm going to say, hey, Kenny, I'll buy your house under these three conditions. I have to get pre-approved for my loan. I have to go in and see and inspect it to make sure everything's kosher. Okay. And then uh, there's usually like an appraisal contingency too. Like it has to, the house has to appraise for, for market value. Right. Um, and if those, you know, within that contingency period, so you're saying, hey, Kenny, I'm going to buy your house with these three requirements. And if they aren't good to go within like, usually there's a time frame like 10, 15, 17 days. If, um, if I don't find what I like in that time period, then I have the right to back out without losing my deposit. Because you're going to put a deposit in escrow the first three days after you sign a contract. So if the bu- seller agrees to sell you his house, you, got, you agree to sell me your house, I'm going to put in my 3% deposit of the purchase price in the first three days. Okay. And if after the contingency periods are up and I don't perform or I want to back out, then I would be entitled to that deposit back unless I release the contingencies. So if I say after 15 days, I said, all right, Kenny, you know, my loan is good. Inspected the place. Everything's good. Appraisal got done. Everything's good. All right, I'm going to move forward. And you sign off on a release of the contingencies. And then after that, you're like, you know what, Kenny? The house isn't for me. I think I'm going to have to leave. Okay. You would be entitled to my deposit. 
my 3% deposit. Okay, sorry about the helicopter yeah. or airplane. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So, um, so that, yeah, that's kind of how it goes is, uh, is you have a certain, you have a few weeks to kind of get your stuff together to make sure that you're, you're actually going to go through. Wow. This is a whole process of yeah. like trying to learn everything yeah. within this small gap of the podcast. Right. <laughs> so I'm trying to like learn the terminology and learn like just how real estate works basically. Yeah. So, but, uh, but to answer your question about like the deals fall through, yeah, that's usually what happens if a deal fall through is, is in that, in that contingency period, yeah. you, your buyers will be like, Oh, there was spider webs on the, on the corner there. I'm not going to take it, you know, or they really, <laughs> well, I'm being, ex I'm oh, okay. Cause I could see people really being like that particular about like certain you things. Can, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can't like, you know, there's a crack right here. There could be, yeah, it could be yeah. any reason there's a scuff on the wall, you know, so I'm going to back out. It could be any reason whatsoever to it's back cringe. out. So that's usually, yeah, that's usually that the, the time period where you figure out whether or not it's going to go through. And a lot of times there'll be like a major issue and the seller doesn't want to do anything about it. Right. So the air conditioner is broken and a, an inspector will come in and say, Hey dude, it's going to be 15 grand to fix your air conditioner. Well, yeah. You know, and you go and you go, I go to you, the seller. Hey, Kenny, it's gonna be fifteen grand. I'm not gonna buy the house with this fifteen grand bill. Like you need to pay that bill, or about half, or right? Get it, yeah, or get it fixed, or yeah. go or do something, right? Uh, otherwise, I'm leaving. And a lot of times, the seller will be like, "I'm not doing nothing," and that's why buyers will back out. But as far as the zero hour deals, don't usually go kaput and like right as you're about to close, because like I said, you have those contingency periods. So once those are up, you'll basically know for sure whether or not the deal is going to happen. And that's usually like two, two, three weeks before you actually close. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So that's really good to know. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to the staging. Um, do you partner up with the company or is that within the, your company? You have a staging department? No, I, you, you, there's various independent stagers. Okay, cool. Um, so I have, a, I have a list of a few people that are really good. Oh, and cool. I will recommend them to the sellers and they can, and the sellers are free to use whoever they want. If they have their own stager, if they have a friend's recommendation, that's fine too. Right. I get no cut, you know, kickbacks or anything from any stagers. Okay. So it's basically just, um, I want to use a stager that's really good so that the house shines. Do they get a percentage from the sale of the house? No, they, the seller pays for the staging. Oh yeah. There's usually like a contract, like, uh, three to six month contract like you pay you know 4500 bucks for the first three months okay it's not that bad and then after yeah and then after you go month to month so it'll be like a couple hundred a month or whatever it is okay it's not that bad i was thinking it was like 10 g's or 20 and i'm like hmm. maybe for a lot obviously yeah, for like a big houses. big luxury yeah. house yeah yeah okay wow but wow. yeah i have a the house i have right now in the market is just over three million and i think they spent like 4500 on the on the staging for the first few months it's not that bad yeah all right, so let's just finish and wrap up with you because I know you're a busy person. You got to sell all these homes and <laughs> these condos. Um, so, what are your long-term goals as a real estate agent? So, I eventually want to do at least 100, 200 million in, in production in a year. Um, you're aiming for next year, 2023, or no? That's oh. I mean, next, yeah, next year uh, within within the years. Yeah, within, okay, okay, definitely before I turn 40 years old, or you know, around that time frame, I want to be doing at least 100, 200 million in production. That's my that's my long term goals. Nice. And I also want to grow a team. Yes. Um, probably a team of at least 10 people. So that's that's what it is. Is the team. And I eventually want to be able to kind of have it as a as a side business, and everybody wants that, but that's pr probably impossible, nearly impossible, to have a, sort of a real estate business that's just working behind the scenes because you're always gonna have to be involved. Very true. And especially if uh, if you built your business to that point, people know your name, they want to work with you. 
right. not the person that you're giving them. Right, so true. you have to be hands-on a lot of times. So um, I do eventually want to have it sort of as a passive income business. Yes. But I know that's, uh, that's quite hard. But eventually I would like to do that. Maybe that's have cool. somebody that's running the company and then I show up every time you know, I need to. Okay, cool. So what would you be doing in that time? Like if somebody's running the company and you just show up, so what are you going to be doing? Investing. Investing. Yeah. So you're investing now? I, no, not right now. Okay. I mean, I have a few things going on, but I don't, I'm not like a serious, serious investor. Like how people are so like pro investing and know all these. Yeah. And it's tough too. Cause if yeah. you're investing, you kind of have to wake up and live and breathe it. And I'm, I'm focused on kind of helping people get their homes sold. Right. So it's tough to invest right now. Um, I think when I start selling a lot more real estate, I'll start in investing a lot more. I actually got into real estate because to be an investor. Okay. Um, and it's funny because when I was looking into like fields where to work at, I looked up the Forbes list and I looked up like the hundred, you know, richest people in the world. Right. And it was funny because the, the list is like real estate, real estate, real estate, Google, real estate, real estate, Snapchat, Google, you know, okay. real estate, real estate. So I learned that most of these people are uh, most of the wealthy people in the world is because of real estate. So wow. that was what told me, like, man, I could I could probably make a really good living if I just learn real estate and eventually be able to invest in my own properties and and build from there. So. So do you own any properties currently? I don't. Are you looking to own properties? I, eventually, yes. Um, but I will look to to own more um, like apartments, apartment complexes okay. and stuff like that. What made you like as a real estate agent? I'm assuming you like selling homes. Why not purchase a home yourself? If, I don't know if I'm getting too personal. That's why. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, it's it's just not. It, it just all depends on your goals. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I don't need a backyard. Oh, you know? right. Okay. So um, it is it is good to build income, but for me, investing is one of the reasons I don't buy a personal home. I'd rather probably put my money into an asset that's going to be producing income, and not that just I'm paying off. Okay. So everybody has different goals. Um, if your goal is to have somewhere to live, basically, right. and grow some some equity and all that, and have a long term asset, then yeah, purchasing a house is the way to go. Um, but for me personally, I, I want to invest in more cash flow producing assets. Okay. So my money is being put aside for those sort of investments and not an investment in a house. Understand. Understand. Mm -hmm. So for myself, I was looking, I've seen, I'm on TikTok, So I see a lot of people making money through Airbnbs and I obviously don't know much about, I really have to do my research on it cause I would like to do an Airbnb and own a house and like the destination locations, like the snow towns, like Lake Arrowhead, Crestline, Big Bear, um, Palm Springs. I think San Diego was an option. Um, are you interested in doing that as well or you're yeah. against that? No, I'm, okay. I'm all for it. It could be extremely profitable. I actually have a really good buddy that just bought a place out in uh, Palm Springs hmm. and he's making money off that. But it's just it's one of those things where you kind of have to know a lot, too, because for me, I think the Airbnb idea is kind of waning. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to complain about the, the cleaning fees and also nobody's there to like make your bed and, you know, and, you, you know, and you can't really make as much noise or so a lot of people are kind of shying away from the Airbnb idea right now. I feel like it's kind of turning back more into hotels. I, I, I hear that, but. Those are the same rules that you're getting from Airbnb at a hotel. You can't be loud in a hotel. Yeah. 
yes, you might have somebody cleaning up and making your bed every yeah. day, but that's still weird to me. Yeah. I'm just, like, yeah. I just hear a lot. I watch TikTok too and stuff, and I hear a lot of, a lot of millennials, a lot of people our age, a lot of millennials are like, yeah. I'm over Airbnbs, you know, like, oh, uh, like, you know, this and that. There's yeah. all the cleaning fees and all the rules and all the, and nobody cleans up after you and all this stuff. But for now, it's still, I think it's still a really, it's still lucrative it's still in lucrative, a way. Yeah. But I've seen somebody who is probably 20 years old. Obviously, you're not like I'm trying to think like where the hell are you getting all this mm-hmm. money? But I'm noticing that they're subleasing different locations for people, so they get a percentage off that, and the owners will obviously get a percentage off that. Yeah, so that's another thing that uh, the reason it, you have to really kind of know your stuff too is because certain areas are start, are tampering are getting, down on that exactly. Like Santa Monica, you can't even rent for under thirty days now. So wow. so for instance, if you buy a place in Marina with the idea of Airbnb it. And they all of a sudden change the rules to 30 nights only. You're probably not going to make, you know, not going to do as well as you thought. Right. So you just never know when the laws change and, and all that. It's 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 profitable. You just have to find the right area, the right property. Also, if your goal is to go to that property and stay there every once in a while, that could be that could be good. You know, if you want a little vacation spot. Right. I know a lot of people that do that. They they'll buy a place airbnb it and then if they want to go for the weekend they'll kind of just book it for themselves right right so, i've seen that a lot yeah. and i was thinking of doing the same thing but I, I would like to have a remote job where i could do that yeah um yeah. but i don't know i'm just it's just confusing that people are that lazy yeah yeah to not make their well, own bed yeah well it's also uh, if you think about it it's a job too if you're running an airbnb unless you have some like a hands-on manager that's doing everything for you. Right. You have to you have to worry about getting a cleaning person in there. You have to right. worry about the, the bookings and getting on the website and right. you know and and pricing and it's a it's a job. You know. I'm I'm for it just because of the income purposes yeah. and the like the income that will come in from it. Um, I, I that's why I'm choosing like destination locations. I don't think it would be right to have an Airbnb in throughout LA for what. Yeah. I mean, I could see it just for like the games or just basketball football and everything or whatever else event is going on in la but no and definitely i'm not for the partying at an airbnb more so the airbnb is for a vacation a getaway with your family like how i was looking at it i need to have a target audience and who i wanted to target to go to my airbnb if i had one um that's why i was looking at the snow towns yeah and why do i want a whole bunch of young kids and my shit fucking up my shit and you wonder why you're getting charged all this money and you wonder why i'm gonna get all my money yeah so that's another reason that you have to that's another thing you have to think about when you have an airbnb is your property is not gonna last as long as if you're renting it to a long-term tenant or right if you're living there yourself right you know people will damage your property yeah that can cost a lot of money right from their pocket i'm gonna make sure it's from their pockets but yeah yeah, i'm gonna make sure of that but it's just strange because like i see why people have cameras at the airbnb but then there's creepy people who have cameras inside their establishment which is i get like 50 50 with it because i don't know if they're spying on these guests or if they're really like trying to ensure like obviously if they don't ha- they're not booked for a weekend they want to make sure their property is okay yeah yeah well so, you have to disclose to people that well of course they're gonna be on camera <laughs> well of course but yeah. There's been some weird incidents where I've seen people have secret cameras in the bathroom or in the bedroom. And I'm just like, you get in big trouble for that. Yeah. Big, big trouble. Yeah. I remember watching Netflix. This is a long time ago called 13 cameras or something. Yeah. I saw that. That was a creepy movie. What the fuck? And that was some creepy shit. And I'm just like, 
wow, there's really some sick ass people out here yeah. doing some weird, shady, like obsessive shit. Yeah. So I worry about that anywhere I go to. If I stay in a hotel, I'm like looking in the vents. I'm like, really? Right. Them, you know? There was another movie. I think it was another is a hotel movie. I don't know who was in it. It was one of the Owen brothers, not the blonde one, but the dark haired one. I think he was in it where I don't know if he was with his wife and they were divorced or they were on their way to getting divorced. And it sounds is Luke Wilson. I think it's it sounds him. familiar. It sounds um, really familiar. Yeah. Where I think they end up dying because they're being spied on. Yeah. Weird shit. Yeah. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> Let's get back. Let's get back. Um, so we did the long term goal for yourself. Um, we talked about the properties and everything. Um, what else is there? Uh, let me look at the question. Sorry. Um, we did talk about like the, the home buying process. We talked about that. Um, yeah, that's a lot of questions. Sorry guys. Um, let me get to, let me get to it. Let me get to it. Uh, the questions right here. Um, here we go. Do you have any upcoming projects for yourself that you're working on? So I do, um, and it's it's not for me personally, but I have a few things that I'm trying to sell. I have an off-market house nearby me that I've been trying. I've brought in a few buyers. I've uh, actually working with a few buyers right now. Um, that's the main projects that I have going on is trying to get these few buyers into a house that they can, you know, that they're gonna want. Basically, it's it's really tough. Um, but that's the main thing is, is getting my listing sold in the Silver Strand and then I have another off market and then helping my buyers out. Uh, but that's that's basically it for me. I eventually want to build. Uh, I want to be a builder too, an investor and a builder. So um, eventually I'll, I'll, I'll look to break ground on some land and try and build something. But right now I have no projects for that set up. So it's basically just kind of hustling for my people right now. For sure. So what personal projects do you have for yourself though? Like what are you working towards like for yourself? Like getting in better shape or staying positive, working on yoga, yeah, canoeing, I, something new. I, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a big self-improvement person and I try and work on myself every single day. And it's tough. It's really tough, but you have to kind of have that mindset to where you need to better yourself. Even if it's a small little step to better yourself every day, right. you have to do it. So yeah, I'm always trying to exercise every day. I play soccer on the weekends to stay in shape. I always, I go jogging probably like four or five miles every two or three days within um, your neighborhood or within the neighborhood. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So I try and stay in shape that way. Um, try and go to the gym, you know, I try and read as much as I can too, to get knowledge. Yeah. Um, but that's for me, that's, that's my main thing is, is self-improvement as far as, um, health relationships, finances, everything. That's good. That's really yeah. good. That's good to hear. Um, if you could have a coffee break or a, a coffee date with any historical figure who would it be that's a great question i've never really thought of that um i saw bill gates outside my office one time right there outside remax yeah and i'm still bummed that i didn't go like hand him a business card or i was just so freaked out i was like wow that's the it was he was the richest person in the world at the time that i saw him wow. so i was like that's crazy the richest guy in the entire world is standing right outside my office wow so um that would be a cool one but i don't think i don't think nowadays i would do that i would probably it'd probably be like somebody like uh like the altmans maybe like uh some real estate agents that are doing tons and tons and tons of business because those guys do an incredible amount of business um so it'd probably be cool to have a coffee date with one of those people okay um 
but I'm a big history buff too. So obviously like I'd love like Abraham Lincoln, people okay. like if it's, you know, if it's cool. dead or alive, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to meet with like probably like a former president or so, you know, somebody like that. So if it was Abraham Lincoln, why Abraham Lincoln? Um, just because of the, the history of, of what he dealt with, you know, the times, those times were so crazy. And like, he was, you know, it was the South against the North and slavery was such a huge issue and he was battling that. And he's, uh, he's just a really huge political figure that I think would, would be interesting to talk to. Okay. And what are three books you recommend to the audience? Oh, so and why? Yeah. Number one. And I just read this one. That's the first one that came to mind is, uh, it's called, it's a negotiation book by Chris Voss and it's called never split the difference. And that's a huge one because it taught me so much about negotiation. He's, he was actually, uh, one of the key hostage negotiators for the FBI and the tactics that he employed through his, uh, through his time through the FBI and, and negotiating hostages situations all around the world. It's just, you take away little key facts of how to negotiate. That's uh, that's really, really imperative, especially if you're in a negotiation field. Okay. Um, so that's number one. I would say if, if you're going to be an agent or some, somebody that has to negotiate, I would say read that one, number one. Um, and obviously a couple that I've read that I, that I swear by is um, how to win friends and influence people. That's a huge one that just teach you like, it's I think that one mainly is is you know couples with the law of attraction. So if you know how to use those methods in that book, you'll know how to use the law of attraction. Okay. And uh and that book teach you how to how to manifest what you're looking for. Okay. So How to Win Friends and Influence People is a very very big book that I highly recommend. I've read it a few times. Okay. And I love that book and there's so many takeaways from that. And that will make you very successful if you read that book. And the third one is How to Think and Grow Rich. Um, and that's Napoleon Hill. That's a really good book, too. Um, and again, it's, it teaches you the fundamentals of success. Um, you know, and there's certain, there's certain requirements to be successful, certain things you kind of have to do. And that teaches you how it is. And there's also one that I just read, too. I know you asked for three, but there's one that I just thought of that was, it's called... Uh, I don't know if it's the richest man in Babylon or I forget what that one's. I think it's something, something about the richest man in Babylon or something, but that's as a salesperson, that's a really, really great book to read. Richest okay. man. In ba I think that's the one yeah. if you have to choose one book. Which one would you highly recommend? Um, how to win friends and influence people. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, what's one question you wish I asked you and how would you have answered? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I never really thought of that. Um, I think you've answered, you've, you asked me all the, all the pertinent questions, so I can't think of anything. Okay. <laughs> You're pretty spot on. I hope so because <laughs> I'm kind of, this, this is the second interview I've done. So I'm kind of nervous because I don't want to be looking at the book or yeah. my phone with all these questions. I would like to learn the material while asking the questions with you and be like, have the eye contact. Yeah. Um, and be direct with you with my eyes. Um, okay. Well, that's good. I'm obviously getting to the questions. Yeah. So, um, here we go. Do you have any regrets? No, I don't, I don't live like that. I, I don't regret anything. I, uh, I, I'm all about learning experiences Okay. and I feel like every single thing I've done, every decision I've made has either taught me a lesson, good or bad. So I don't look back and say, Oh, I shouldn't have done this or shouldn't have done that. I just say, it happened for a reason and okay. I learned, I learned from it. Okay. So I don't, I don't have any regrets. That's good to hear. Yeah. That's good. 
I have two more questions and then we can wrap it up. For sure. Um, what's one, what's one piece of advice you would share with your, the listeners? One piece of advice I would share with the listeners. Um, I guess it kind of depends on, on who's listening. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, if, if you're asking me about how, like how to be successful in, in this field, in the sales field. Yeah. What advice would you share with that? Yeah. I would share just to stick with it. Stick with stick it. Stick with it. Because when I first started, I had in my mind, because I know that real estate, I always knew that real estate was an in and out game. People get in and they get right out. And a lot of people think that if they don't, you know, a lot of people think they're going to start, they're going to get rich in the first year or two, which is, it doesn't happen to a lot of people. It's, you know, it's like hitting the lottery, basically. It's, it's extremely tough to do that. And my mindset was always, I'm going to do the, if I go broke for the next 30 years, it doesn't matter to me. If I, you know, if I'm, I'm going to stick with this field no matter what. And I always had that in my mind. I never had quitting even once on my mind. And, and trust me, there's a lot of things that probably make an average person quit this field so that was that's the main piece of advice i would say is to stick with it and um and as long as you're doing it and you're in it then you should you should be successful if you don't quit and right you just keep pursuing the higher goal okay that's so, good so yeah determined motivated motivation basically yeah that's good um so i just thought of another question just now before i get to the last question um how do you deal with work-life balance that's a that's a tough one man it's it's uh it's this field is you you're on your own time so you don't have to get up at a certain time right you don't have to end at a certain time right so it's uh it's really hard to prioritize i would say health is the most important thing um for me at this age especially i think i think that's the reason that a lot of older agents do a lot better than a lot of younger agents too because a lot of younger agents are focused more on their life, you know, uh, relationships, you know, uh, meeting people, exercising. So for me, sometimes I choose exercise over work. So instead of, instead of leaving the office at, you know, I'm instead of staying into the office at seven, 8 PM, I'm like, I need to get out of here and go work out. Okay. So I prioritize health number one and then my career. Well, I, I would say health relationships and then my career. Right, right, right. So, um, so that's to answer your question. It's, you got to, you got to prioritize the right things. And I think health is number one. If you're not healthy, if you're sick, you're not going to feel good and you're not going to want to work anyways. Very true. So I, especially at this age now, and probably forever, um, I prioritize health. I'll even, you know, I'll leave work sometimes to go exercise if I'm feeling that. So um, work-life balance, you have to put your health first. You have to be healthy. If not, you're not going to be a productive person. Has there been times where, sorry, this is not the last question, just for work-life balances, um, has there been times where, like, for instance, you're with your girl or you're with family and you're, you know, you're doing your thing, going out, just enjoying your time with your loved ones. Has there been a time where a buyer or a seller is calling you? Yeah. And, and I'm sorry to cut you off. How do you go about, like, not, like, again, work-life balance? How do yeah. you go about balancing that work-life from your personal life? So that's a great question. And um, I think the way to do it is to be clear with your people on when you're going to be available or not. Okay. Because um, a lot of agents, you know, a lot of times you have to at 8, 9 p.m. I'm signing contracts, sending out contracts and stuff like that. But I think it goes back to communication. Right. As long as you communicate with people and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be available at this time. I'll be available tomorrow in the morning. I think that's how you kind of control that okay. um there has been times where i've been out with the family and or i've been out somewhere i've been golfing or something and i have to and i actually have to take my computer to the 
golf course and and knock out a contract and stuff like that too so um it just all depends but um in this field you have to be readily available 24 7 basically yeah. it's like a doctor yeah wow uh yeah i don't know that would be too like intense for me to like i could be minding my business so i could be watching a tv show or whatever and then i'm it's work and then i'm like well this is an extremely tough field because it's like you're you're never off no you're and not I, I, and yeah. i and i've i miss the days of being able to go into a nine to five and get home and not have to worry about anything like oh my job's over you know until tomorrow and i don't okay. get that anymore i'm always and it's always like uh it's always in the back of your mind too like if you're not working kind of feel you feel stressed you know so it's it's you really have to uh you, have, you really have to find time kind of make vacation time i guess right um, so how do you go about planning that and then also, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. going with these crazy questions. Um, has there ever been a time a buyer or a seller called you at like 12 a.m.? Um, Are you any late night? I think I've had some late night calls. Hell no. Yeah, I've had some late night calls. Yeah. And you just kind of have to deal with it. Okay. You know, um, and I don't mind too because I have, I have my freedom too. Like during the day, if I want to go and go grab lunch, you know, I can do oh, that. Oh, you can do that. If okay. I want to go meet a friend and go, you know, if, I wanna, if a friend invites me on a bike ride or something in the middle of the day, I can do that. Um, so that's what kind of makes it okay to answer the late night calls. It's like, Hey, you know, you're calling at 10, 11 PM, but you know, I wasn't in the office all freaking day. I was, uh, you know, I went and had lunch. I had a good day. So I don't right. mind, I don't mind doing this at night. Okay. Sometimes it's better too. Cause, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier to work at night. Like if you take the day off, yeah. you know, if you take the day off, you chill out and you're like, Oh, I'll just work tonight. And then at, at night comes, you can just chill at home, have a glass of wine, you know, work on things on the computer and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, it works out. Okay. So do you have a calendar book? Like, how do you stay organized? That's the that's the question right here. How do you stay organized? Yeah, I I have a Gmail calendar that I use, okay. and and it's it's hard, but I try and stick to the calendar. I try and stick like I'll put in the calendar. I need to prospect from, you know, two to six every day. I have that on my calendar every day, but it, it doesn't always happen. Okay. So I think the easiest the easiest way to try and do that is to try and like okay, I need to stick to my calendar. If I have something in my calendar. I need to do it. Okay. Um, and a lot of times I'll set an appointment for like 9, 10 a.m. so that I, I'm working at that time. Okay. I'll start at 9, 10 with my appointment, just like this. We had, right. I had a dentist appointment at 8, and then I came here. Right. Um, and now I, you know, I work all day. So um, that's one way to do it is to set an early morning appointment so that you have somewhere to be. And then you know that after that you can go and knock out work. But the main thing is sticking to your calendar, sticking to the events, because that's extremely, especially in a, in a self-employed position, it's hard to stick to the events that you put in your calendar. If you say you're going to call 50 people between one and two, you need to do it um, right. and stay disciplined about it. Or if not, your, your whole day can go haywire. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for stopping by and for coming sure. on. This is a great experience, a great learning experience also um, for myself, because I'm interested in buying my first home or interested in buying properties um i'm not ready yet but you know i'm just right you are here (laughs) so i'm slowly interested on what like how real estate works and like what i need to do to be prepared because not a lot of first-time buyers are going to always be prepared yeah they don't know the ins and outs and what you're supposed to look for when you go to these home tours basically yeah um thank you I yeah, appreciate you. Of Thanks course. Thanks for having me. We of course. Again. No, we're definitely doing it again because I would like to be a lot better on like how I communicate with on the mic, basically with my guests, including yeah. you. So where can everybody follow you at? 
Um, my Instagram, I post everything on my Instagram. It's uh, Justin Dutchover. Okay. So you just look that up, and that's my handle, basically, is my first and last name. So if you look that up, you can find me, and I uh, I post everything on my stories, like, okay. all day. Like, yes. I just came here and posted the podcast I'm doing, and then yes. probably headed out with a buddy. We're going to go check out some broker opens. All right. So I'll post that. Yes. So, um, so yeah, Instagram, everybody can follow me there and, and know all about my life. That's good. Shout out the, the real estate Instagram, though. Uh, the Dutch over team. Dutch over team. Yeah, that's my that's my Instagram page. I don't. I'm not on that as much as I'd like to be. So I give people my personal page because uh, they get actually see like what I'm doing. Okay. On a day to day basis. But still, you still have to. You know, we still want to shout out what you're actually. The real estate. Yeah, yeah. Look you up, know, look up the Dutch Over team on Instagram too, and of course, and you can check out some nice properties there. Of course, uh, wonderful properties yeah. along the coastline of mm-hmm. the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. Have a nice day. All right. Thank this you, is buddy. better yet. Start talking. Um, I'm your host, Kenny, and thank you, Justin, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Of course.